Welcome to the Way Back Then podcast. The podcast is produced by myself, Tony Michaelidis, a.k.a. Tony the Greek, and Ritman Media. Hope you enjoy it. Ray Davis, or should I say Sir Raymond Davis, was the lead singer and main songwriter in the quintessential English pop band The Kinks. They were also, most likely, the pioneers in what would soon become Britpop. He had a number one record by the time he was 19 and was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1990. Since the band called it a day, he's acted, directed and produced shows. It was there and then, in 1994, that I caught up with him around the release of X-Ray, what he himself describes as his unauthorised autobiography. So, sit back, relax, and listen to Ray Davis. This unauthorised autobiography, which uh, came out, in fact, on Viking last week, um, is it, in fact, the first book you've done? It's, well, yes. It's the first long thing I've written. I've written scripts, things like that, but X-Ray is the first long, his first attempt at writing a book. How long very did... interesting, very interesting process. It's got, it's got, like, I mean, I've seen some great reviews, but I've seen some reviews from quite often written by people who don't understand it. Briefly, what it, what's it about? It's quite a different type of autobiography, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm sorry about the people that don't understand it, because it's written in plain English. So, um, it's... I didn't want to write an autobiography that was just, you know, I was born in such and such a day and all that. It's just boring stuff. I just wanted to have a, a, a creative insight into myself because yes i know what i've done i've made lots of records with the kinks we've had a very sort of colorful history very interesting band and it wasn't really until i finished it i realized how how strange our career had been but when i started the book i tried to view it from from a perspective of a young 19 year old uh, cub journalist coming in to interview me say, uh, as if I were 70, 75 years old, a grumpy old man in a recording studio. And that way I could have an insight into myself. I, I couldn't really uh, examine myself and appraise myself because you know, I exist now. But in the book, I, I, I turn into this character, R.D. And I think most people pick up an autobiography and they think, oh, yes, this is a, a, events as they happened and we remember it. And there's a lot of that. But there's also this undercurrent throughout the book about my, sub, my what I call the sub-world, the subconscious world of R.D., my character. And I talk about me as if I'm a sort of different person in the book, which I found to be an interesting way into myself. I would imagine the fact that it's some 500 pages long means by the time you've got into it, you get well into it, and it just continues very easily, doesn't yes, it? it's 420, something like that. It's um, an interesting book, I think, to read as a whole. It's, it's uh, people that have read it, they read it once, and they say, oh, I'll go back and read it again. It leaves you with, with a lot to think about, and you pick up on things second time round, so it's... <laughs> But like I say, I haven't read it all, but I intend to read it all. But I've been a slow reader. I didn't have a chance to read it all before you arrived. Um, but in saying that, I mean, it, it looks on the surface that it's been written to appeal to just more than Kinks fans. I mean, Kinks fans would buy a Ray Davis book, wouldn't they, out of the fact that they're probably completists anyway. But over and above that, I would imagine you're trying to attract people that there's, there's certain mystique behind it. Well, there, it's not just mystique. I think most we're fairly well documented in history. You know, the records are well known, the famous sort of band uh, but I think as I was saying earlier there's part of me 
is a lot that makes me as a person and motivated me to become a member of the band and how I fell into it. And um, as I said, it's this sub world, this other world that exists. It's part of your part of a, a creative person's uh, psychology, the way they write, their background, their family. There's a lot about my family in it, and there's a lot about the characters we met on tour. Because I often found that uh, in you know the 60s where it starts with the band, uh, a lot of the characters surrounding us were more interesting than us because we were more concerned you know when after you really got me came out i was more concerned with writing songs and i was like like a swat at home writing single after single was was i mean the fact that it, it is what 30 years virtually mm. that you know the books come out i mean did you have to wait that long to see that the, the book had any significance lots of people would have done a book like this a lot earlier i suppose wouldn't they Purely for financial reasons, maybe. Well, yeah, I never intended to write a book. It's just that going back, I think you were going to ask me when I started how long it took to write. It didn't take that long, but I was at first asked to write this book at the end of 1988. And uh, I was living in Ireland at the time after a long tour. I'd been quite sick. And it was touch and go whether I'd continue with the band or because I was, had my, I was in quite ill health. So I thought it would be interesting to try and write it as a kind of a, a, a to recuperate and do something rather because I couldn't tour for two or three months. Um, but I, I actually really got into it at the end of last year. So it was quite therapeutical at the time to, to sort of start doing this yeah. rather than going tucking yourself away and writing songs which would have been made more effort. Yeah, but I, I made the, the I made the definite decision to sit down and, and say this this book will be in this style. And this is my method I'm using, using the young boy interviewer, who is me. There's a lot of me in him as well. It's me, because I was 19 year old, years old when You Really Got Me was number one, uh, I, <clears throat> I thought it'd be a good a point to start with this boy. So it's me meeting me. So it's sense. chronological through the so ages. That's maybe why a lot of people don't understand that. <laughs> but it's a very, it, I, it surprises me because uh, the, the people that I have met that have read it and signing today, it was, was sensational. You know, the, the, the people are varied. You have scientists coming, you have old fans coming, you have new fans coming, you have people that work in shops, housewives, and they all have their, it's some, I think there's something in it. I don't want to be all things to all men. I think because it's about a band that's known, has a history, that, that, that singles, the singles that people remember, this, it has a single memory in people's minds. And I think this book adds a little bit of the background to those songs. Mm. It sounds quite modest, the way, you, the way you talk about it. I mean, you know, you should have a book, really, shouldn't you? And I mean, I suppose, like, you know, the fact is that there will be people out there that have got Kinks records whose parents have got Kinks records. So the curiosity factor means that you can probably appeal to over 30 years to two, three generations, which isn't such a bad thing, anyway. It's not a bad thing, but it's not... It, I didn't really think about that when I was writing it, and I didn't make... I didn't target an audience. I think I've never tried to do that with... Even when we made records, I've never tried to, you know, from a band like the Kinks that had All Day and All of the Night, which many people say is the first heavy metal record, the same band a year or so later made Waterloo Sunset, which is a ballad that most people you know, really regard as their favourite Kinks song. You've been listening to the Way Back Then podcast with me, Tony Michaelidis. Today's programme features Ray Davis from the Kinks. That's an interesting thing about the band, isn't it? The fact that you've got to be sort of the definitive English pop group mm. that, you know, like lyrically and, and the whole thing about the Kinks, they were separate from the rest. And, and like you say, you've been incredibly successful 
as a songwriter. Um, but the fact is, yeah, if you go back to 64, I mean, it, it was, you say heavy metal, and heavy metal's like a, a loose term. I suppose it was like the definitive riffs yes. in the same way that, you know, maybe like Free and people mm. years on had like, I mean, there's nothing complicated about All Right Now and things. It's simply the simplistic well, things. Well, that, I do disagree, not disagree with you, but All Right Now, it's not a complicated sounding record, but it's minimalist. Yeah. And that takes a lot of, it's a lot of thought, a lot of work to do that. You're listening to the Way Back Then podcast with me, Tony Michaelidis, otherwise known as Tony the Greek. Today we feature Ray Davis from The Kinks talking about the release of his unauthorised autobiography, his own words. So without further ado, let's pick it back up. Do you, do you find, um, like you say, 19 is quite young to come up with a song that's still remembered 30 years later. Do you find, did you find songwriting quite easy? Um... Well, the fact that you're still writing No, it's never, it doesn't get any easier. It wasn't easier, easy then. Uh, in the book, I describe how I embarked on being a songwriter. And it, I think what I wanted to do was make blues music. When I suddenly had You Really Got Me as a hit, there I was 19 years old with this hit record, my fifth song that I'd written, now being put on a conveyor belt where I had to keep producing material. I didn't have the experience of living on the Mississippi or living in Memphis, Tennessee. So I, I, the, the music was raw and blues-oriented, but, but the, the lyrics were from my experience of living in London. It's so got to that be, was odd, an odd combination. It's got to be better than singing about cruising down boulevards if you haven't been there, though. I have been down Hollywood Boulevard. That's the song. But did in you fact, at 19? Yeah. But that was later on, and that's when I lived in just off the Hollywood Boulevard. That's quite a sleazy part of my my life. But that's that's quite. I had to approach that. That was a very difficult part to write. It was a hard book to write because I. People have said it's a very self-critical book, and I think I didn't want to paint a, a glamorous picture of myself. And the Hollywood Boulevard sequence. I think what it means that that, that section of the book is, even though it was a seedy period in my life, I think a, a, a beautiful song came out of it. And uh, you, I, I really think you have to experience these things to write about them. When you say it's seedy, I mean I've not got up to that bit yet. <laughs> is it seedy in as much as it's it's typical sort of LA? Um, well, what's typical LA? Well, I mean, LA's probably lost its day, hasn't it? So I suppose it has to go well, through. LA thinks from the from the belly button downwards. That's where the brain is. <laughs> Decadence. Yeah. So do you look so. back at that, that, that period in your life that you you could have lived without? Are you glad you went through it? Um, I I don't regret anything, and I make no apologies. But when I sign, I had a signing today, and obviously, it people have come up and they say, "Will you sign it to me and my daughter?" I said, "Well, you read it first, and then." let your daughter read the bits you wanted to read. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough, very honest. Yeah. Um, you were obviously satisfied with the book and you knew when it was finished. I mean, mm. if, if there had been anything there that you're quite sh not quite sure about, would you have waited two, three, four, five years for it to be published and come out? Or yeah, would you have just had to live with what was there and have condense to live it? with what's there. You know, you can edit and edit and edit. And if I had my way, I'd still be remixing Sunny Afternoon. The record wouldn't have come out because I wanted to keep remaking things. But obviously I can improve it. But the book stands now. It, it exists. And um, I, I'm pleased with the result. Um, obviously you can always refine things forever and ever and ever. 
maybe next time. Is this, is this like, I mean, there seems to be a lot of activity with Ray Davies, the person with the book, and, the, and there's the compilation, the To the Bone coming out, which I suppose there have been other Kinks compilations. I mean, mm. wh- why now? Is it like the 30-year thing? No, I think the To the Bone thing is uh, To the Bone. I can't say the thing. Um, <laughs> the film as well, eh, maybe? The film, well, we did we did a sort of an unplugged at Conk Studios, and we also videoed some of our tour that we did last year in the UK and America. And... It's a lot of the old songs, but played now. There's a really nice version of Water Through Sunset and uh, things like Tired of Waiting. Also, we've recorded, and that's going to come out uh, another time, uh, lots of the lesser-known tracks. So um, it's interesting in that, it, it's yes, records people have, have bought before on the compilations, but this is us playing them this year. Which is different. Yeah. Mm. Did you, incidentally, did you ever hear that Kinks compilation um, tribute album that came out from a local label around here, Imaginary? With with various bands. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it was, it was a great. Out of that. I good. mean, what, one of my favourite Kinks songs ever was "See My Friends." You yeah. know, and there was a band from here called the Chameleons who had yeah. a group called the Splinter Group called the Regs. A couple of guys did an amazing version of that, but mm. it doesn't half make you go back and listen to like the original version. Yeah. I mean, that's probably like, you know, one of the. Yeah. I don't know one of the cult kinks tracks. I mean, do you oh, look yeah. upon that as a, one of your strong? It is, particularly the recording we've got on the Bone um, al- album. It's an interesting. It's more acoustic driven. So they're all re, re-, re- sort of mixed. It's us, it's us sitting down in the studio in like a rehearsal situation with a few fr- invited friends in, and we built a little set like the front room of a house. You know, oh, great! In the parlor of a house. So it's got a completely different feel to it than just the greatest hits or anything. Yeah, and it's uh, it's just got a, it's got a lot of charm about it. But it's also got a great ver- live version of All Day and All the Night, which to me, which opens the album, which is really the definitive killer performance. <laughs> <laughs> and that's coming from you, eh? <laughs> yeah, and it is a great, well, from us, our definitive yeah. performance of All Day and All the Night. Wonderful stuff. So um, I suppose what we've got to look forward to is, is the sort of rare tapes emerging at Sotheby's next, haven't they? Yeah. Well, no, we've got a single coming up, I think, if they can get the tapes organised, because it's a Christmas rush in the pressing plants. And, um, <laughs> they're bringing out a, a single of the new recording of Waterloo Sunset, which you really got me on it. And I've included two demos we did in the 70s that have never been released before. Got- and some people might say, no, we know why, once they've heard them, but... That I, I, I could have remixed them and, and, and tarted them up to sound really good, but I wanted them to be like period pieces, and they sound... It, it's very of the mid-'70s period, and two tracks, one's called Elevator Man and a ballad called On the Outside. So there's something from the old sort of mid-period kinks as well. Is that... I mean, looking at the stuff, I mean, there was a sort of period, I suppose, from the, in, into the 80s where there weren't any hits, were they, with the kinks? I mean, all of it came, like, from the 60s into the 70s. I think, well, this country, we, we really sort of went to town in the UK. You know, we had four hits a year. We just churned them out, and the albums as well, and the EPs. And then we went to America. We got we were banned, and in the book I explain, go into detail about the first tour of America, which was a catastrophe. Uh, but luckily we survived, and a lot of people went to America and never came back. Do you think that was timing, going to America at the wrong time? Uh, no, well, on, on the surface it was a perfect time to go to America because everybody, it was the British invasion, and everybody was conquering America. But the kinks being the kinks really screwed it up, and... Um, what anyway, was it? I won't give it away because it's in the book. It's, mm. it's, 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 it's an interesting time, but it left a real scar on us. So what happened, when we finally got our visas, uh, they gave us visas, um, 
really the end of the 70s, we made a concerted effort to go back and we had to start from the bottom. And this is a band that's had like 21 hits all over the world and big album success. Going to America to starting again, playing in colleges and clubs. But that did us a service in a way because we built a new audience. And in the mid 80s, it all culminated in this huge album success in the States. Uh, unfortunately, the Kinks being a sort of band that has to be seen live, we couldn't really perform much here. And it was just before videos, really. You had videos. To, you know, now you can tour everywhere because you've got a video on television or on the chart show or on MTV. People think you're actually around. Yeah. But we couldn't do it then, in, in the end of the 70s, early 80s. But it was a video, Come Dancing, that we made that really broke us finally all over the world in our second coming, as it were. It was an amazing tool, is it? Presumably you're doing a video for all day and all the night, are you just through uh, necessity? Well, no, we've got it We've got it on video, the, the performance on video from the live concert. So you're just going to use that? Yeah. Would you, would you feel a bit strange, like, you know, after all these years having to go and sit there and spend, like, a day or so making videos just for the sake of MTV and stuff? No, I think it's, uh, it's a, an interesting addition to what I do. Uh, it's... I love video. I love making films. And Presumably you'd have to have a say in the storybook and everything with your own self. Not really. I think a lot of videos now, eye-popping video, of course, I've used the word eye-popping, but it's, uh, it's a question of cutting images together. I like to use a narrative in my video because I like stories, but that's not really a very commercial and fashionable idea. I think a video is just there to sell the product. You worked in television, didn't you? Yeah, I've directed and written a few things for TV. Really? Yeah, yeah. Do you still do any of that now? Well, uh, the next project I'm doing is a feature. It, it was a, it's actually a, a story I started to write about ten years ago, in about the time I lived in New York, and it found it didn't work. I couldn't resolve the story, so I started writing a script. The Way Back Then podcast series is interviews with musicians from over the years, together with some music industry veterans sharing their stories. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on your chosen platform. We're available on Spotify, Google Podcasts, iTunes, and all the others, including Anchor FM. Hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll see you next week.